Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Conservative, not bitter indeed. Yes, you're listening to the Todd Huff Show. Yeah, and I am your only, uh, the one and only host, Todd Huff here. America's truth, well, realities are, I guess you could say. It's good to be here. Thank you for joining us. Got a little bit of a different, uh, I guess, type of show today. One of the things that we are uh, doing is I've got a I've got a guest actually live uh, that's going to be on here in a bit. He's a friend of mine. He's made some news here lately. We'll get to that uh, probably later this segment and then into the second segment. But I want to start. I want to start by the way. Questions, thoughts, emails, comments, even adoration and praise will be accepted. Todd at ToddHuffShow dot com. But I want to start here with something we talked about yesterday. I want to start with Jen Psaki at a press conference yesterday, press briefing in the White House, um, being questioned by perhaps the only journalist in the room, Peter Ducey of Fox News, asking her about what we talked about on here yesterday. We talked about unemployment. We talked about how that is... um, the reasons for it, the reasons unemployment went up last month, ticked up. We got businesses everywhere that are looking to um, hire folks, but yet unemployment has gone up one-tenth of a percent. Businesses are, I mean, in dire need across the board. I, I meet with businesses on a regular basis, and I can't even begin to tell you how many horror stories I hear as far as trying for them trying to get employees and it runs the gamut folks it does Um, I'm sure there's some industries where maybe this isn't the case but there are lots of folks out there restaurants in particular you've heard me say if you want to eat out at restaurants um, you might want to keep (laughs) keep an eye on this because it is a real real problem Jinsaki asked about this Peter Ducey acting as though this has nothing to do, the unemployment situation has nothing to do with what the government has done, nothing to do with unemployment extensions, unemployment bonuses, the the, the dollars that are tacked on, the $300 or whatever it is a week. And this this isn't a broad attack on someone filing for unemployment, but this is, this is what happens. This is what happens when somebody... Uh, some people out of the the greater pool of unemployment applicants have more of an incentive to not work than work. This is not complicated. You know, there are some things, and I hear the left, the technocrats. We have this movement towards technocracy, which means essentially that we need to let the uh, the the experts, the experts, tell us how to live, and we need to dutifully oblige and get in line. This happened. Um, a lot of this came through the form of COVID, and I'm not saying not to listen to medical professionals, but you, you saw a dose of this, and you saw a dose of how wrong, 
how wrong these technocrats can be and the cost, the cost that we pay when we blindly follow them. And yes, I probably can't say that on YouTube or Twitter or Facebook, which is currently one of the places this program is broadcasting. But nonetheless, it doesn't make it any less true. Fauci told us to not wear a mask. He kind of laughed at it. Then he told us to wear a mask. Now he's out there telling us to double mask it wear goggles who knows what's next right you can possibly see your family maybe on the fourth of july if you're all vaccinated and wearing masks and socially distancing and outside or some such ridiculous thing that's where this has gotten the technocrats want us they want us to just follow their instruction and advice and they're going to study everything they're going to tell us to follow the science which i'm not against following the science But how many times has science been misapplied? How many times have we been told something is the case before the science has actually been determined? You're not allowed to ask some questions. That's part of the problem here. You're not allowed to ask certain questions. You're not allowed to form certain hypotheses. You're supposed to just fall in line and listen to the technocrats and the experts. And folks, there are some things. There are some things that I do not need a study for. I do not need a study to tell me that my being free is a good thing. Now, some people out there do. And I'm, I'm, it's a little terrifying to me because I think some people in this country could be persuaded that freedom isn't good because there was some study conducted, probably by the USSR for all I know, telling us that, the, that, that freedom is not a good thing or that free speech isn't a good thing. Religion isn't a good thing, which they're already telling us these things anyway. But if this comes in the form of a study or the experts have spoken suddenly, well, you know, can't really ask any questions because the experts, excuse me, have spoken. Well, so what? I don't care sometimes what these experts say because they are flat out wrong. How many times have you read the headline that says experts were wrong, experts mistaken, experts are baffled by this or that i see that on a regular basis and it's there for anybody who wants to see it and that's from a media that is complicit with this stuff so it is under that the guise of that or the i guess setting it up that i wanted to to play a couple of sound bites here jen saki talking at this press conference yesterday to peter Ducey, who asked the questions that were basically the things that we were saying on this program yesterday, which is one of the reasons for the unemployment tick upward, is because people are not incentivized to work, and they are incentivized instead to not work. And she acts like this is unproven. Unproven. This this is, there's no evidence to support this. And I would suggest you don't need evidence. If you understand human nature in the slightest, you do not need a, a scientific test. You don't need any evidence whatsoever to believe this to know that this has a factor i'm not saying it is the only factor but it is a big big factor so here it is i want you to listen to this this exchange peter Ducey, jen Saki yesterday uh, at the press briefing here you go and on the economy so employment only rose by about 266,000 jobs in april out of 7.4 million or so job openings how does the white house know that people are just choosing not to apply for jobs because the extra unemployment benefits are so good? Well, first, let me say that we have looked at the data, and Secretary Yellen referred to this on Friday, or talked about this on Friday. 
we don't see um, much evidence that the extra unemployment uh, insurance is a major driver in uh, people not rejoining the workforce. We actually see the data uh, and uh, our analysis shows that uh, lack of vaccination, the lower rate, which is why I referred to the data in the week that it was taken, it has an impact. Child care has an impact. Schools reopening has an impact. But there is also the need to pay a livable working wage. And that's one of the reasons the president will talk about that this afternoon. But as Bank of America economists who are cited in a Bloomberg story say, anybody making less than $32,000 a year is better off financially just taking the unemployment benefit. So is the White House creating an incentive just to stay home? Well, again, uh, the majority of economists uh, internally and externally of the White House don't feel that unemployment insurance, something that was done um, at a time where to help unemployed people get through a very difficult economic downturn during a pandemic, is a, is the, a major driver in, uh, in our unemployment data. That there are other factors, bigger factors, that were contributing, have been contributing to the numbers we saw on Friday. That's what we're working to address, uh, and that's where we think our solution should be focused. Last one really quick. The Commerce Secretary says the main reason that people are staying home is fear. How does the White House know that people are scared? What is that based on? Well, I think what she was referring to is the fact that there were there was a much lower vaccination rate just a month ago, and that uh, people are fearful about getting sick, they are fearful about whether they're going to have the conditions to be healthy, whether they can send their kids to a child care center, whether there is a child care center. So those are all factors that are consistent with uh, the examples and reasons. All right, you get the idea. And I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. I'm not saying that schools not being opened is doesn't factor in here. But we're getting close to the time of the year that the schools aren't, aren't open anyway. And have you noticed, too, that the solutions are the next Democratic wish list, some sort of government-provided child care, or whatever's next, whatever's on the wish list of the radical left. But to act as though, to, to act as though there is no, that, that the experts have gotten together and, and they have decided that having an incentive to stay home and make money and not work that's comparable to or greater than what you would have made in, uh, you know, by, by going to work. Acting as though that has no impact whatsoever, the experts have spoken, is beyond ridiculous to me. I mean, it makes me wonder what are the other things, what are the other things that the White House would not be able to put together? I mean, it's like eating 10,000 calories a day and then acting as though that had nothing to do with being overweight, it's as though sitting around and having a sedentary lifestyle has nothing to do with the deterioration of muscle mass, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's so obvious. Do we need to, to even study these things? And I'll say there's a more uh, insidious movement here, one that's below the surface, which is moving you and I subconsciously or at least trying to towards technocracy, towards the idea that the government is a bunch of experts, the rest of us are a bunch of dopes, sit down, shut up, fall in line, do what you're supposed to do. And that kind of leads a little bit here into what I want to talk about next. And I'm going to actually, Shane, my friend's on, on hold, Shane Williams, a member of a local town council here in 
my area. I'm not in Mooresville. I'm a little bit west of there, but he's in Mooresville, and he's made the media here recently. So, Shane, sit tight, buddy. We'll get you next segment. I, I figured this there's a chance of this happening, but we want to get you as much time as possible. But, Shane, you've heard me say that we have problems at all levels of our government, and I mean this, at every single level. I have had the pleasure of serving on a local school board, and my eyes were open to the problems at that level. My friend Shane, who's on the phone here, he's serving uh, as a town councilman in in Mooresville, and he's introduced some legislation um, making Mooresville a sanctuary town for the First and Second Amendment. And I want to talk about that with him as well, but we'll do it after the break. So Shane, sit tight, my friend. Um, we're going to take a quick time out, come back, and I want to talk about this because this is a, a local thing here. So sit tight, and we will be back here in just a minute. back so i was mentioning last segment that i've got a friend on the line shane williams town councilman in the town of mooresville just a little bit south and west of indianapolis so shane are you there buddy shane can you hear me my friend Shane, you there, buddy? Well, I don't think Shane can hear me at the moment. So let's read here. Um, Article I saw yesterday, Bongino. It says this. Thousands of countries, thousands of countries, nations, counties, I should say, nationwide, saw so-called sanctuary cities springing up to defy federal immigration law and ask themselves why they wouldn't uh, do the, to the same fight, uh, do the same to fight gun control. In just 2020 alone, over 400 local governments, mostly counties, adopted resolutions declaring themselves to be second Amendment sanctuaries in defiance of future gun control legislation. Many resolutions are symbolic, while others specify that no government resources will be used to enforce additional gun laws. And so it's along this line that Shane, which I can... Shane, can you hear me? Shane is not... I don't know what's going on here, because this should... This is how we do all of our interviews, and we're just having a... A problem here. Nothing like having live uh, live radio do this to us. But anyway, Shane has introduced Shane has introduced a uh, in this past the local town council this um, something similar, something similar. And I'm going to read you part of the of the resolution. It says this. It was uh, just passed here. A couple of, I think it was last week. It says Mooresville Town Council Resolution 16 2021, whereas the First Amendment 
to the Constitution of the United States of America protects five essential areas of individual liberty, stating that Congress makes no law uh, – Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or of abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances – Whereas the town of Mooresville maintains a strong commitment to supporting and protecting its residents' First Amendment rights. Whereas in the wake of the coronavirus outbreak and social upheaval, the town of Mooresville observed and is alarmed by the federal government and other jurisdictions within the United States taking action to restrict First Amendment rights. And then it lists some, some examples that curtail religious freedoms, um, the cancel culture. Um, encouraging television networks and so-called news channels to limit facts, preventing peaceably assembly. These things did happen. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci's not noticed that they've happened, but they do. They have happened. And so there we go. This is what the town of Mooresville passed. It passed four to one, making it a sanctuary town for the first and the second Amendment, and I want to talk to, to Shane here about this. Let's let's try this. Shane, can you hear me? Well, I'm going to try here. Oh man, let me uh, let me see if I can reestablish a connection here, um, and we'll we'll try to talk to Shane here after the break. So I'm going to take a quick uh, an early one here, a couple minutes early. So I do apologize, but um, let me see if we can if we can reconnect with Shane here and get this fixed. So. I'm going to take a quick time out. It's a little early. Did not plan to do this. Shane and I were even talking here before the show, so I don't know what's happened. He can't hear me. So sit tight. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. Friends, we are back here. I've been, I don't know if we've got this connection reestablished yet with Shane or not. We have tried here to reestablish this. This was working and now it's not. Shane, can you hear me? Yes, Todd, I can. Look at that. I have no idea what happened there, Shane. All right. Well, good. I thought we were off this possibility and I wanted you to share what's going on. So you're a member of the town council in. The great town of Mooresville. So tell our listeners what you've introduced here and what's passed the town council. We've talked a little bit. I know we had some audio problems on the backside here, but I was sharing with the audience that there's some movements with towns and cities, municipalities to pass uh, first and second amendment sanctuary town and city legislation. Explain what it is and why you why you did that. Well, first of all, it's good to talk about it on a station called Freedom, isn't it? Um, That's right. But yes, we we introduced this uh, it, the other day, a, a week ago today, and basically what it does is, is uh, there's two resolutions that make Mooresville a sanctuary town for the First and Second Amendment, and we are the first town in the state to do that, not the first municipality, there's been counties to do that, but we are the first uh, town to do it. And actually, I, I didn't realize that until the night of the meeting. But 
it was basically a response to our uh, taxpayers here in town um, that see what's going on on the national level and are worried about the loss of their fundamental freedoms guaranteed by the Constitution. So basically the resolution is a formal declaration that takes a vote by the council to say that we support the First and Second Amendment. They quote the, the amendments within the document. Um, and on the Second Amendment one, they also quote the state constitution as well for the right to bear arms. So we refer back to those um, statements in our constitutions, both federal and state. And then we say what we will do and won't do in regards to those amendments. So what's been, I guess, the feedback that you have gotten from, I guess I'll ask first with maybe the voters, the people in the town who elected you, and then uh, what, what kind of support or, I don't know, opposition have you gotten from other Republican leaders? Well, from the townspeople themselves, and that's who I care about, we've had a lot of positive feedback. And quite frankly, I don't think I've ever had a single issue generate as much positive feedback, both in messages, uh, social media likes, you know, that sort of thing, um, phone calls, texts, emails, that kind of thing. Um, and then just walking down the streets in town, being in a small town, you know a lot of the people, and they come up to you when you're walking through. Um, been overwhelmingly positive. I think at worst, it's been an 80-20 uh, positive response. 80% seem to be really happy with it. It could be as high as 90%. It just seems like there's a lot of people that are really happy. They're really fed up with what they see on the national level, and they want their freedoms supported. They want to know where their politicians stand. I will say I've been disappointed with um, local party officials. I haven't seen a single state representative or our party chairman here in Morgan County or um, really any other local politicians uh, come out in support of it on their social media sites or in the newspapers yet. And I think it's uh, a real problem. I think uh, people should ask their officials where they stand on these important issues and get them on the record. Um, but, yeah, it's been disappointing there. You know, they will take their pictures with their NRA cards or shooting guns or something like that. But then when the rubber meets the road, they're silent. So why, why do you – I guess why would – and there may be reason. Like maybe maybe someone would say, "Hey, you know, this is already in the in the Constitution. We don't need to do anything, you know, about it. And why why are we making this fuss? You're, you know, you're making you're, you're grandstanding. Of course, none of this stuff's ever said about the left. They can have sanctuary cities, and we can totally ignore the rule of law and so forth. There and the erosion of the Constitution. But is that the opposition, or is there something else going on, Shane? You know, I really, I really don't know. If that is the opposition, then you have a bunch of conservatives that sound like, like uh, leftists to me, and I think people should question why they're in the party they're in. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if that is one of the arguments that, well, it does nothing, um, then why are you so worried about nothing uh, that you won't that you won't say anything? Um, 
you know, it's kind of a funny argument to me. But uh, there's resolutions for a reason, and they're used for a reason uh, by statute, and it's to make a formal declaration via a formal vote. So, so I'm not sure, Todd. I really am not sure. Because I but haven't. It's disappointing. It's disappointing to me. You, you know, we're, we're supposed to be the party of freedom, the party of uh, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of, of religion, even freedom of the press. Um, and still nothing, uh, certainly the freedom to defend yourself, the right to bear arms and nothing from these local people. And I, I don't, I don't know where they're at, but I can tell you this. I think it's a big mistake. The public is dying to know where we stand on these issues. And, uh, matter of fact, the idea came from them. You know, I've interacted with a lot of my constituency, throughout the campaign and throughout the last year and a half when I've been on the council, and there is a certifiable and justifiable angst amongst people who are worried about what these federal politicians say about their rights. So help, So you you ran what's been a couple of uh, – you were elected in what, what year, Shane? Uh, I was – my campaign was in 2019, so my first day in office was in – January of 2020. Okay, so then you, I mean, you didn't have, you weren't a, you know, you you hadn't run for any other office. So I guess, what are some things that have been, I, I guess, eye opening to you, um, serving, or the things that you have learned, the problems that you have uncovered? Because I say on here, and I, I stand by it, that our problems in government, we talk about national politics. I think that that that's something that. Uh, that's that's important to me. I followed this a long time, but there are local things too, and these things trickle down. And there are some really uh, dangerous ideas, and there's some really bad practices. Um, and there's all they take all different shapes and sizes. But what are some of the things, I guess, in general that you've run into or uncovered locally? Uh, that may be happening in towns and cities and school boards and all these different places across the country. Well, I think I think some of the same issues that you see federally are local too. Uh, there's um, sort of this idea that politicians put a lot of pressure on themselves to agree. So when you look at, at votes, just take the voting record. Prior to 2020, our local council voted five to zero almost every vote that tells you that they're deciding things before it gets on the council outside of the public purview and that's really not what's supposed to happen you're supposed to see a little bit of debate Um, ideas aren't supposed to be killed behind closed doors and so sometimes they don't like it when you uh, bring up new ideas and even in the case of this uh, first and second amendment sanctuary there was some opposition even amongst Republicans on the council. Um, and, you know, to me, it was very, very easy to reaffirm or just publicly affirm that I support the Constitution. Um, you know, we take that, say that in our oaths, and no one makes a controversy there. But, um, you know, when you do something new or you come up with a new idea that they didn't come up with, sometimes people get upset. And so that's part of it. I think you also have a lot of pressure from your local party. So if you don't cater to that, um, 
I, I try not to put the party above the people I represent. I don't represent the party. I represent the people that I work for. And so sometimes you find that party, you know, concerns or party uh, pressures are counter counter to what your public wants. And I stand up to that in my view. I really try not to succumb to that. Um, and that makes people mad. You know, the other thing, if you criticize anybody publicly, um, and I try to be not personal about it. I try to criticize what I think is bad public policy. They still take it personally, and they kind of shun you. And um, it's really sad that it's so hard to stand up for what people actually want rather than what the appearance of what your uh, the politicians want. Um, you know, they always want agreement and things to look good rather than to actually do what the public wants. I don't know if I'm making any sense, no, but no, I those yeah, are the no. issues that I see. So one more question. So one of the things I get asked, you know, I would say probably the most, I, I would think I'm, it, it's up there, is this question that is, what what can I do, right, as some just average Joe, you know, conservative, constitutional um, constitutionalists out there in, you know, any town USA, you know, what can I do? You know, I see these things happening around me. Um, I don't like them, but I feel kind of powerless. I don't, you know, maybe they've tried to get plugged into the party. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they've, you know, started to, to build a social media following. Maybe they just genuinely don't know what to do. Maybe they've entertained running for office. You've done a couple of these, of these things that I just alluded to, I guess. What, what did you do? And because you've you've developed a very powerful voice in in this community, and I mean it it comes with some. <laughs> sometimes you take some heat, and sometimes you get a groundswell. You always have the the followers who are just all about what you're doing. So, like, what would you recommend to, to someone who's out there trying to say, "I've had enough of this"? I, I just, you know, where do I turn? What what do I do? What what did you do, or what would you recommend that that they look into doing? Well, the first thing is, um, I think have a mindset that. You want to improve your town. Don't go into it with a personal vendetta against one person or against, um, you know, something that's of self-interest to you. Look at it from the town's perspective first. Get that in your mind. Then the first thing I would do is what I did, which is start attending um, public meetings. They're open to the public. Um, You have an opportunity to watch how your government interacts with itself and you start learning how the procedures work. Um, and to be fair, sometimes you learn why things don't happen as quickly or why things can't happen as quickly too. But that's the first thing. Then the second thing is identify areas, problem areas. When I first started attending public meetings, we had a redevelopment commission at the time, which is now largely replaced for the five members are new. But at the time, they were not taking public comment. Sometimes the law doesn't require what's right. Uh, and so they, they, were, they had charge of millions of our dollars and weren't even taking public comment. And I fought for that and uh, just as a person, you know. And basically, I saw 
how little input the taxpayers really had and how much was being done um, behind closed doors and how little was making it to the public purview. And so I just started attending and I see things, big things like that and raise awareness through social media um, and just started reporting back to the public on my social media, just my personal page. And I raised awareness and um, through that experience, some people in the government tried to get rid of me, tried to intimidate me. That doesn't work very well for me. So I got mad enough and ran and I did it because I wanted to help my town uh, through new transparency, communications, public input. It's their money. They should have input. And so that's that's how I started was just attending the meetings and learning as much as I could. The last thing I would say is always go to the documents. You can do public access requests even in your towns and go to the documents. Make sure what you think is going on is what's really going on. Um, and always try to uh, give the public the facts. Don't don't rely on emotion. Give them facts about what's going on. And then people trust you, and your voice grows with that earned trust. Well, you've done um, you've done a lot, and 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 I think that um, those are those are wise words and um, advice that should be heeded by those who want to step up and and to get involved in, in local politics and. Shane, you and I have been friends and known each other for a number of years now, and folks may not always agree, but I mean, I think that um, you know the way that you're going about this has actually brought a lot of things to light that wouldn't have been known had you not been doing it. So I appreciate what you do, and I um, appreciate standing up for these freedoms, these liberties, the Constitution, which... Um, it's very important. These things are under constant assault by enemies of the Constitution. People who don't like this this country is founded, and these enemies are, are everywhere, nationally, at the state level, and even locally. So I do appreciate it very much, Shane. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me on, and let freedom ring throughout Mooresville and the state of Indiana and the country. Amen, my friend. That's Shane Williams. He is a member of the town council, the town of Mooresville, who recently passed four to one, I think was the vote, um, sanctuary town for, for the first and the second amendment. He's a friend of mine, and I appreciate having him on the program. So sit tight. We'll be back here in just a minute. This program brought to you in part by our friends at White's Innovative Glass. White's Innovative Glass, family-owned, operated, offering commercial glass services throughout throughout the state of Indiana, specializing in commercial glass installation, repair, and replacement services for a variety of custom glass features. I've gotten to know Caleb there, and he is... Um, a great guy. They do good work. And again, White's Innovative Glass. Whitesinnovativeglass.com is the website. Check them out if they might be able to help you or someone that you that you know. So that was a little bit different, right? We haven't really done 
uh, live. Most of our interviews I do pre-recorded because we're we're a little bit early here, and I don't want to inconvenience uh, the the guest too much. Figured I could do that with Shane. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I I thought it was you know some of these things. Um, it's something that I had thought about doing, and I thought it would be a good idea to have him come on. And you know sometimes it's just better, and we're going to do this stuff more frequently as we continue to grow and and develop. So I appreciate having Shane on the program and I appreciate people all around the the community the state the nation who are standing up um, standing up for the constitution and, and for liberty and I understand some folks don't necessarily you know like it or feel comfortable but it's but it's important I, I don't know if some people really grasp or understand the level of hatred that some people have towards our founding documents I mean it, the thing is, you don't have to look very hard. I, that's that's what's puzzling to me. I don't know if some folks just get in a comfort zone or what it is or think that there's not a nonstop, relentless attack on freedom. There is. There really is. And we've got to be willing to to stand up for it and uh, to, be, to be proud of it because the Constitution is a great document that has made this nation what it is today. So got to take a time out. Talk to Shane. A little bit longer than I anticipated, but that was good. So I appreciate having him on. Be back here in just a minute. All right, my friends, I appreciate it very much. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate the feedback on on Shane, I appreciate just uh, look what um, just the the whole journey for me has been quite quite remarkable because of you and I'm we've got some things happening that I'm getting a little bit eager to tell you about but there's nothing to tell just yet but some some good things happening and you have all you all of course make that possible I'm grateful so thanks so much for listening have a wonderful day and remember SDG see you tomorrow take care.